0: my challenges as a Vc so is I've got a whole bunch of different organizations that have different needs and I need people that can stand by me when I'm dealing with a company that has five people in it and you know with a company that has uh, a, bu- a bunch of people in it so I think it's it's very much r- relationship driven and it's and it's very much try to understand what my challenges are before you try to sell me. A- sell me a-
1: Welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor customer relationship. I'm George K with the vendor side, and I'm George A, a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, our guest is Terry Chapman. Terry, welcome to the show.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Well, we're gonna get into it in a moment here. I did want to give you some time to kind of introduce yourself in your cybersecurity journey just uh like the the short version and then we'll get into the the bare knuckles portion of the show
0: <laughs> sure yeah yeah there's definitely the long version and the short version um i i've been doing pure security stuff for probably the last 15 or so years i started life actually as a developer a long long time ago and uh so from developments, I ran operations, ran help desk, I, I ran an enterprise architecture group, and out of that, we ended up creating a security team. And, and uh, so that was kind of my, my journey into the security realm.
1: Nice. All right. Well, we're going to get into it. You're on the practitioner side, which means vendor gets first cracked. That's me. <laughs> so, so, um, because this is a show about that divide between security vendors and security customers, I want to start in that, which is the most obvious place. So, um, currently you work as a Vcso and I'm curious as to how does that affect your relationship with vendors? I'm sure they see CISO in the title and they sort of start piling on or calling in. And so what do you say to them in terms of like how to interface with that particular role?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I don't have one company that I represent and the, mm-hmm. the companies I work for can be vastly different in size and maturity. And so the, the key thing that I need is vendors that can be flexible, right? And work across that, that range. Um, so if, you, if you're if you focused on, you know, just that one sale or or just that one size company, then that, that creates challenges for me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really need that flexibility. I need that partner that can help out from, you know, kind of all scale.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was kind of one of the things that I was, I, I want to get into that with you as well, but, you know, in reviewing kind of your profile before this episode i was really impressed with your career overall Um, and that really needs to be stated in our business there is uh, i'll call it like a like almost like a a pandemic of burnout you know like especially once you get in that senior leader role and in person in charge of security you you might last maybe two years, tops, if that, you know, and there's just a lot of stress. The game is completely um, diversified in ways that I think people just never foresaw coming, especially 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, over a career that spanned over 30 years, um, in your opinion, how has managing or securely managing technologies and infrastructure across the enterprise changed from when you began in the mid-90s to what it is today?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, a, a lot of this is probably things that everybody says, right? I mean, we started this years ago and we were really just trying to defend, you know, that, that, that center of everything, right? So we were focused mm-hmm. on edge everywhere and then keeping everyone out. And of course, there, there is no edge today. And, you know, half of the companies that I work with are 100% remote, right? So they're, they, they have no central, infrastructure whatsoever. And so that's kind of really changed a lot in how we approach it. I think the other thing for me that that changed as well is, you know, in, in the early days of doing this, it, it was very much about security and focused on trying to get people to do the right thing, or more importantly, not do bad things. And, it, and as we've, evolved through this and as i've grown into it, it it really has shifted more to risk management so especially as you move up up in the, in the you know hierarchy of the company uh my, my role becomes that of, of educator and uh helping people to understand what risk we're taking on right companies take risk all the time whether it's financial risk or, or you know supply chain risk it's all about what's the upside versus the downside. And so part of it for me was kind of evolving into that piece where my, my job is to help you understand what the real risk is that we are potentially accepting. And I think you're undervaluing that, try to educate you on that. And I think that's you know, a big change from you know, where we started, which was just trying to keep people from doing stupid stuff.
2: <laughs> That's still a big part of the game, but I agree with that.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is, unfortunately, but uh, the, those things, I think, you know, it's, there's more tools for us today to be able to just protect against some of that stuff, right? And then and I think the other piece is, I think there was a, a time period where, because we didn't have as many tools, we tended to um, you know, maybe blame the, our, our employees more. And my approach to it today is, is more of, you know, they're, there trying to do their job mm-hmm. and, and security. We're trying not to get in their way of doing that job. And if we do that, they will try to find a way around it. So if people yeah. are trying to find a way around what you're doing it's because you are impacting them in some way. And so our job is now to try to understand, well, why, why is what we have in place impacting you? And is there something that we could do differently that still reduces the risk, but doesn't make your life miserable? Because if, if you put something in the way, people are creative, and they will find creative ways to get around what you do.
2: Humans are hackers. Yeah, th- that's what I going to say. That speaks to something that... Um, I've been trying to push and a lot of other CISOs I deal with, um, security as a business enabler. I mean, realistically, if you're running an enterprise, particularly in a commercial organization, your job should be to make it easier to make revenue in a more secure manner. And I think if you're impeding Mm. that by, you know, over-inundating the organization with controls, like you can literally secure yourself out of business. And I think in a, in a dream state, there are some CISOs who would love that, but then we would not have jobs. <laughs> right. And I think that kind of kind of speaks to um, what George is going to ask you next. And it, it's, you know, the evolution of the role, eh, George?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I do want to tell just a very quick aside to your point, George, that I spoke with a major financial institution maybe a few months into the pandemic and as part of their sort of lift and shift to work from home, they had adopted Microsoft Teams and I had this call with them and they're like, but we've disabled all the all the file sharing. So they can chat, but they can't do anything. I was like, and I was like, I would just want I, I was like, I, I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I love I love I, loved, <laughs> <laughs> I okay. was like I was like, okay. I'm going to say, I mean, this is like a fortune 500 company. And I was like, so, and I was not trying to be an asshole. I was like, so you bought a collaboration platform in which people cannot collaborate. And he was like, yes. And I was like okay, I just needed to, I just needed to get that. Anyway,
0: Dropbox salesman calls him every month with, you know, (laughs) you have uh, 700 people who have registered with your corporate (laughs) email addresses. If you want to become a customer, we can help you control those.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I was like, I was like, dude, you, I was like, they're going to find a way. And he was like, yes, I know. And like, he was being pressured by the rest of the organization to like make anyway, that's, that's your story. But returning, uh to your career terry um to george's point you painted a good picture of like you know first it's sort of like the moat model and block and hey user don't do that up to this level of risk management and then as we said business enabler so i want to go a little deeper into the leadership style which is you know the The things that were acceptable in the workplace in the 90s and early 2000s are certainly not there today, not least of which you're dealing with completely decentralized, you know, distributed organizations. So what's been your secret sauce to, you know, rolling with the times and adapting your leadership to changing mores, social norms, (laughs) stuff like that?
0: Um, well, you know, some of this is uh, just about being flexible, right? Uh, and, and that's part of what we have to be in this space anyway, I, I think, right, is we have, to, we, we have to continue to develop and grow and be flexible. And, and, and certainly, you know, when I, when I started this stuff a long, long time ago, it was a very different world uh, in IT and, and within the company and certainly things that happened back then. You know, thank thank goodness they don't they don't happen today. But even simple things like, you know, early on when we rolled out URL web filtering, um, we had a guy on the team that set them up, and it, it, it was everybody called it the red screen of death, right? So if you went to a blocked URL, it like turned your whole screen red, and you know, ultimately it was about trying to make you embarrassed and. You know, in in reality, it could have been a typo squatting. There, there's all kinds of reasons yeah. why you could have ended up there. And so, you know, getting to the point of, hey, this this isn't about you know, trying to embarrass people. This is about making good decisions. I think one of the things that that we rolled out in one place was just sending people, you know, like a monthly summary of here's all the sites you visited. And, you know, mm. people's behavior changed just kind of self it's like they know they're being monitored now mm-hmm. i didn't have anybody watching that stuff but by sending it <laughs>
1: right.
0: differently right
2: for sure okay cool yeah i think that's that's kind of the important thing right is, is like you know the text always going to change and i think the messaging is always going to change but you know as long as you're able to still um humanize I think your approach to business whether that's the 90s the 2000s or today uh, it, it's still people you're still managing people it's people mm-hmm. managing technologies but ultimately you're managing people so I think you know if, if you're not as the leader able to empathetically put yourself in their perspective you're probably not going to do too well and they're not going to do too well either right
0: no I I, I agree with you hundred percent on that and you know I think that that was always my approach is try to understand it from the position of the people that we're working with, right? And and what we have to do is look at what's the real risk, right? That they're, they're, I, I had a, a location in uh, Europe and they had a warehouse management system. And so essentially they have, you know, RF guns that tell people, go here, pick this, do that. And they came to me and they said, it, it's terrible trying to log in to these tiny little things with mm-hmm. our gloves on. Can, can we, you know, do something to allow people to scan to log in? And so, you know, we start to look at it and say, well, what, what's the real risk here, right? So the, the identity that you're logging in with, what can it do? It can't do anything. It just gets told, go here, pick up this, go there, drop it off. And so when we look at it and say you know, the risk associated with that's pretty darn low and it has right. no access to any other things. So yeah, let's let's figure out what's an easy way to do this versus saying, you know, oh no, you can't ever, you know, have yeah somebody yeah, yeah. To just magically get in,
1: right? I feel like that's like a I feel like that's like a pragmatic versus dogmatic approach, right? Like the the dogma yeah. might be like zero trust everywhere. <laughs> but to the oh, I see you rolling your eyes but to the point of like you know you blocked everything and you just made their life really frustrating cuz they're working in a warehouse with gloves on because of other workplace safety rules and they can't use the appliance that they're given.
0: Yeah, and so it's you know it's very much about trying to understand w- what are the you know the actual environment that that you're working in and and it and it's different, right? And that's one of the interesting things certainly from a VC CISO perspective is, you know, I work with different companies and you know, they range from a really small company with five or six people in it to, you know, a you know, billion dollar company that's, you know, got like seven hundred people in it. And so the 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 problems are similar, but the way you deal with them are very different for
2: those. For sure. Yeah. I, I literally like before I, I kinda of wanted to shift gears on this, but I have like a thought on that. Uh, George and I talk about uh, setting up this game called buzzword bingo at some conference or some event somewhere. I can only imagine in your three decades of doing this. Like, I think honestly, Terry should be the game master for that. You know what I mean? Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. the amount of bullshit and buzzwords Terry's had to deal with in his career?
1: Yes. And, and has seen them change, right? Like what was in vogue? It's like a Google trends map. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like,
0: yeah, there, there's uh, a weird Al Yankovic song, um, where he goes into like the whole buzzwords of everything. I don't know. If, I can't remember the title of it, but yeah, it's oh, wow. fantastic
2: Very nice. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, let's, let's talk about corporate loyalty because, um, you know, like I said, in reviewing kind of your profile before this episode, the one thing that really impressed me was that before you got into a full time consulting career, you were a loyal employee and in our industry, in our business and security, especially and if you got talent at all, that is just not a thing that really happens nowadays. You know, I mean, corporate loyalty is is very much considered a dead concept to the latest generations of professionals, mine included as a millennial, um, you know, the average stint at a company can range from six months to two years if one's lucky. You know, it's in an era of of never-ending layoffs. I'm sure you see those depressing headlines every couple weeks lately and talent poaching. You know, how did you manage to successfully stay with the same organizations for over 10 years at a time?
0: Um, Yeah, actually, I was at the same organization for uh, 35 years. So I I started uh, with Ferguson back when they were... Yeah, about a, about 450 million in sales and I retired a few years ago and they were doing 21 billion in sales and in that whole time um, the, the company in general had a really uh, high group of people who'd been there 20 30 years right so that the from a cultural perspective there was a lot of that. And and for me, it was there was always something new and interesting to do. Right, I, I am challenged by fi- finding something new, something interesting, and I just never kind of ran up against the ceiling where it's like, okay, there's nothing new to do here. There was there was always the company was you know growing, um, and there was always you know some new thing to take on or do. So that that's probably the, you know, the biggest thing for me is, is there was just always some new challenge. It it changed continually.
1: Yeah. George and I talk about this a lot. You're, you're sort of approaching it from a structural standpoint, but I think that there's something in you, right. And George and I talk about the need for curiosity, either from the sales side, like I genuinely want to learn about your business. What are the processes? How can we help to like for security practitioners? I mean, if you sort of, think it's like, set it and forget it, you know, the sand will shift beneath your feet, you know, in the next year or two. And so I think you're saying, yes, the business was changing dramatically, but I mean, you must have also just, you were intrinsically motivated to work on the new problems or understand the new things.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I I am an avid learner. I, I've always, you know, tried to just kind of keep my hands in it and understand what's going on. So I'm, you know, still try to stay somewhat technical, although, you know, it's, it's harder nowadays, you know, I have a lab, I play with stuff, I bring things in, I try to understand them, but, um, you know, one of my biggest frustrations when trying to manage teams was when you would run into somebody who's like, they just didn't have any curiosity about how something Mm. works or is like, we run into a problem and they would give up after trying a couple of things. It's like, that's. You know that that's a that's a an opportunity to kind of dig in and and try something new, come out at a different direction. Uh, and so I was really you know frustrated by people who you know are just kind of like stuck.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's definitely a, a big thing. Like I, I harp on that quite a bit. Is that you know other than work ethic uh, and and talent, like really that sense of curiosity and that critical thinking. That's the biggest thing for success that you need. Like I, I come at this thing from a non-STEM background. Like I studied politics and psych, I had to teach myself everything. If I wasn't a curious person, um, I probably would be sitting here having this conversation with you. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of other folks that I know that are successful, we'll call them blue collar CISOs, right? We're not coming from (laughs) MBA schools. We're not like we, we earned our way here up, like from the bottom levels up. Really, you just don't advance if you are not curious. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to talk again, because you're saying about you were with the same employer technically for 35 years or 30 years there. Um, yeah. My, my apologies I misheard. But I was going to ask you do, you, do you find that employers back when you started in the business really took better, consistent care of their employees more so than, than they do now? You know, in terms of your benefits, in terms of you know, healthcare in terms of just giving them an environment where the employer was actually committed to seeing you succeed in life as part of working with them?
0: Um, you know, I don't know that you could generalize that. I think then as in now, there it's a corporate culture thing, right? Some mm-hmm. some companies are, are good at it and some companies aren't, right? I, I worked for a couple of companies out in California way back when and. And uh, yeah, there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of uh, making sure that you were going to stay there, but um, you know, Fer- Ferguson, you know, certainly had a very much a family feel to it. I think things evolve over time as companies get bigger, it's harder to do some of those things, you know, uh, early on, on when the company was small everybody kind of knew everybody everybody worked together right. and then you know we got to an it organization that was 3 400 people and you just can't you, you don't have all of the same connections you don't you don't do a lot of the same things and then just from a liability perspective right companies have challenges the the friday night you know keg on the on the loading dock uh, it was great when, you know, we were a small company and, and nobody was going to sue us because we didn't have money. Uh, but when you became a billion dollar company, it was like, yeah, that stuff doesn't doesn't pass anymore.
2: right? Get that. Yeah, I feel that. I, I, I do miss the let's go for some bevies in the parking lot. I do miss <laughs> those days, but uh, we're definitely over a decade past that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back with the brass tacks. back to our interview in a moment. Are you heading to RSA this year? We're going to be there. Stay tuned and follow the LinkedIn page to hear more about a meetup that we're planning. But for now, back to our conversation with Terry Chapman. All right, we are back for the brass tax portion of the show. Uh, Terry, what is your Number one recommendation to new sellers on how to approach someone with a VCSO title.
0: You know, I think it's very similar to how you approach somebody with a CISO title, which is you you really need to be in there understanding what the challenges are before you're in there selling, right? And and like we talked about earlier, my, my challenges as a VCSO is I've got, whole bunch of different organizations that have different needs and I need people that can stand by me when I'm dealing with a company that has five people in it Mm -hmm. and you know with a company that has uh, a a bunch of people in it so I think it's it's very much relationship driven and it's and it's very much try to understand what my challenges are before you try to sell me a a solution so
2: switching gears to to kind of i guess your your earlier parts of your career how would you how would you um advise young security professionals to approach their career building to maintain the levels of of longevity that you've had how have you fought against the dreaded cso burnout
0: um yeah. so uh, so fortunately i'm not a high stress person to begin with so i think that has helped me personally. And I, and I think the the key thing that I would advise others is you know, that you, you need to find an outlet, right? If, mm-hmm. if, if all you do is is this stuff and, and the tension builds up, that's it, it will catch up with you. So uh, find something that you can de-stress with that's fun. And technology has always been fun for me. So to some degree, the challenges that I was facing was, it was also fun, but, uh, I certainly know other people who, you know, the stress does build up and, and, you know, I had a, some folks that worked with me over the past and you could just see this, 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 the stress landing on them. It's like, you gotta, you gotta find something, you know, be, become a gym rat, and, you know, take up climbing, do find something that you can do for an hour or two and just not think about all the pressure that's sitting on top of you.
1: For sure. Um, Cool. All right. My turn again. Uh, So I want to circle back around. You said at the very beginning, you know, you were looking for vendors who could be partners and that word really uh, stuck out to me. So, and, and VCs are generally working also in a consultative role with any one organization, right? Sometimes you are given kind of the keys to drive the program you given budget i've worked with vc who you know they're building the program but they have to go make the case to ctos or cios and you know so anyway what are your kind of top two tips on cultivating a trusting and consultative relationship and i'm asking you as a vc so so because as a vendor you know ideally we are also doing the same thing with the security teams sure Everyone wants to sell to the CISO, but you got to talk to architects, you got to talk to engineers, you know, you got to yeah. work with all parts of that org.
0: So one of the things I think that's different between the CISO role and the VCSO role, and, and some of this is, is about company size as well, right? So when I was a CISO at Ferguson or was a PLC, which is the the global entity, I had teams of people that we were working with. And so as we were trying to solve a problem, we were trying to be, you know, LinkedIn with those guys saying, we, we don't want to drop a solution on you, right? We need to find a solution that works for you. So we're right. here to help in the selection process. We're, we're not trying to dictate where we're, I am with a number of the companies that we work with from a VCSO perspective that they, they don't have a, a big staff. They, they want somebody that has experience that can come in and say, just tell us what to do. Mm. And in, in that case, you know, I, I need vendors that, that can I, I can rely on so that when I say, hey, I, I've worked with this group in the past. To solve this issue, that you know we can come together and, you know, really shine, and uh, how we bring a solution to the table, and and that you know again has to to, to scale from small to you know mid size, and so I think it's it's very much about you know what's the size of the entity that I'm working with.
1: Cool, yeah. George is really big on that trust is going to carry over. Too, if he if he goes to another job, right, he's going to remember that relationship. Whereas if you because you you burn somebody, <laughs> they're either going to recommend against you or they're not. You've lost all of that sort of future uh, opportunity. Yeah,
0: I mean the, the sales guys that that have been, you know, I, I always find them everywhere I go. It's because those are the guys that they they would first sit down with me and say, "What is it we're trying to solve?" But more importantly, mm. they were also Kind of my chief troubleshooter so if something wasn't going right i could call the sales guy and he could find the right person within the company to to you know shake the trees like it happens right you call in you got a support issue things are not moving the way that you expect them to and you know the great sales guy is the one is like he's not just there for the sale he's there mm-hmm. for a long-term relationship and it's like i can call him up and say hey Here's the issue we're having. We're stuck in this place. Find find me somebody to talk to. And, you know, they, they will do it. They'll find, they'll find a way to help get unstuck. And that's not sales, but that's certainly what makes me keep going back to them. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, speaking of carryover relationships, it kind of leads into my, my last question on this is, you know, how would you map out success being either a CISO or VC? So across multiple types of industries, you know, because you went from a particular type of manufacturing wholesaler to now you're dealing with organizations likely across the entire spectrum of business and probably public and private. Yeah. You know, how would one approach consulting, for example, for a software company in terms of how it might differ from consulting for a healthcare provider or a manufacturing firm? You know, how did you find a way to do it so well?
0: <laughs> so I, I think for me, the the key thing is having built a good overall technology base, right? So I came up through the technology space. So when I'm dealing with a company that is a SaaS company and software is their product, I, I can't write software today, right? But what I do know is how things should work. And I try to stay on top of, you know, kind of what, what the new kids are doing, right? And I play with mm-hmm. different frameworks so, uh, enough that I understand them. Um, you, you're not going to hire me to be a programmer anymore, but I can have a conversation with those people and, and understand what the challenges and where the issues are. And so I think the, the way I'm able to kind of cross that is to, to be focused on kind of, um, you know, broad understanding of the technology and then the other piece of it is, is when I go into an organization, I don't assume that I have the answer. My my first thing is really trying to understand what what what's the business, right? What 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 are we trying to do? What are we trying to sell? What where are our risks, right? Have we have we gone through any kind of threat modeling to to understand where challenges could come from? Um, so the, those are really I think the way to approach it so that you're not focused in on any one type of company. Yes, you know, the, the challenges in a legal firm are very different than the challenges in a manufacturing firm. But if you start from the principle of what what is the problem that we're trying to solve and what what is the actual risk, not not what what's the book risk, but what's the, the real risk, right?
2: Now, that word risk keeps coming through a lot of these answers you're giving us, Terry.
0: <laughs> well, and and the challenge is th- there's kind of the book answer, right? Thou shalt never do this. Or um, the, the challenge is when you start to look at it and you say, well, what? Yes, there's a risk associated with this, but how likely is all of the, the things to line up for that to actually take place? And mm-hmm. that's very different in different organizations, and so you just have to take that into account. You know, similarly, when we look at like really, really tiny organizations, and we're looking at things like how do things get pushed into production, and how do we do segregation of duties? Well, guess what? There's one guy, and he he's he's doing everything. So you know, what, the, the, your segregation of duties is, is is trust, right? Is this guy? doing the right things and if you want to reduce the risk a, a little bit let, let's create separate authentication identities for those roles so that if you know one role as the development side gets compromised that isn't necessarily the one that can push stuff into production so we can still reduce the risk associated with it without saying oh you need to hire three more guys right so there's there's mm-hmm. ways to approach it that that but you have to look at what's the what's the situation, what's the reality there.
2: I just want to say thank you for not blanking that response with like zero trust because people just throw that word out there like it's supposed to solve <laughs> everything. And I'm like, no, no, it's about a very specific type of identity and access management, but I, I just appreciate your attention to detail, sir.
1: Great. Um, Terry, want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to sit with us and share your experience and
2: your expertise.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun.
2: I, uh, I hope we get the opportunity to meet you in person at one of these big conferences at some point soon, sir.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: That's it for Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks this week. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating or a review and share on all your socials. It helps others find the show. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.